Street epistemology is a wonderful approach that anyone can learn. You can learn more about street epistemology at streetepistemology.com. I think we might be live. We live. We're live on the internet. Hello, everybody. Uh, once again, this is. Uh, oh wait, I want to. I wanna, I'm going to just do look at this magic trick. Look at that. Now I'm looking into the. There we go. I'm looking at people. That's that feels better. Hello, everybody. I hope you are well. Um, my name is William Owen. Uh, my YouTube channel is in, Inspire Reflection, and today is another one of our little uh, street epistemology call-in shows. And I am joined by the immutable Chucky from I Hear You, and uh, Johannes. Johannes? Janos. <laughs> I got my oh, Germans. Yeah. I got my Germans. There are two Germans that, I mean, and they're basically the same person. Yeah. And the other guy. Yeah. Janos uh, <laughs> with, with Dr. Prometheus. Uh, is, is that your Twitter handle, I believe, right? That is Dirt Prometheus. Yeah. It's, uh, it's Prometheus. my Twitter handle. I don't have a YouTube channel yet, but stay tuned. Uh, there might be news soon. Oh, I tell you what, I'm, I'm going to just stay here and wait. Okay. Yeah, let's do that for the show. That's that sounds like a good. Any idea. news? <laughs> no news uh, not yet? yet. No, okay. no news yet. Keep us posted. Yeah. How's it going, uh, everybody? Yeah. So uh, one thing to say is that there's a link to the uh, call in call in component of this show is going to be in the uh, top of the YouTube channel. Is it on? Is it on Reddit as well? I forget. And, and Facebook. I think it's pinned and posted all over the places. So if I, I didn't got... put this on Reddit this week. Um, okay. Yeah, oh, it looks like we're on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and Twitter, I guess. So I guess you'll find the link to join us on, on those platforms somewhere. So please do have a look. I'm not entirely sure where they are. Um, but yes, uh, feel free to join us if you've got any questions or comments, uh, things you'd like to talk about us in the world of street epistemology. Um, but until then, uh, Janos, you've got some some news, right? And also, right. if you want to call in with a claim, we're, we'd be happy to do live SE. Yes, that too. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so we have a German language practice group uh, for street epistemology. We meet up um, every Sunday at 8 p.m. German time. And also, uh, there's a smaller group usually on Wednesdays. But tomorrow, this Sunday, we will be joined by Anthony Magnabosco, and we will have the opportunity to ask him some questions about SE and talk to him. Um, so if, if there are any German speakers um watching this right now feel free to join how good is anthony's german is it is it good does he um actually i don't know exactly i've never heard him speak german but i think he understands a little He's gonna find out yeah <laughs> <laughs> we'll just we'll just speak german the entire time <laughs> yeah no so yeah if, if by the way yeah that is uh that is a good thing that maybe i should add uh if if there are people who are not comfortable uh, speaking English or who are not that fluent, um, you can still, of course, join and listen. And if you have a question, you can just um, give us the question and we will ask it in, in English if you're more comfortable with that. And I'm going to put course... a link to the Street Epistemology Discord in the YouTube chat. So you can join that if you're not already on it. What a, this is a lovely synergy we've got going on here. This is great. We're just all, everybody's just doing their thing. I love it. It's so good. <laughs> 
Uh, so Janos, you were saying uh, earlier, just before we started, you've wandered out into the streets of Germany and accosted strangers. Um, how how was it for you? That's right. Yeah, um, I've tried it before years ago, but not really. Like I, I only had a, a, a GoPro strapped to my chest. Um, this was it, a street epistemology interview context. I, I want to just add that in, seeing as you went. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that yeah, that might be relevant. <laughs> How sure are you about that, William? That that was, <laughs> well, no, I'm increasingly yeah. less. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that that didn't really go well. Um, I had like one or two chats, but they weren't that interesting. But yeah, now I uh, I've got all my gear. I've got a table, like like Reed does, and two chairs, and uh, right. and my recording equipment. And well, I believe that it's it's different to do it in Germany because Germans there is a different mentality in Germany than at least in the United States uh, where I think in the U S people are more open to when, when someone approaches you and just starts a conversation, you're more open to like seeing where that goes and you're just uh, open and friendly. And in Germany, usually when you talk to someone, it's because you want something. So when you (laughs) talk to someone, like I was in the park if you talk to someone in the park, usually it's, hey, uh, can I borrow something from you? Or uh, do, do you have a Frisbee? I forgot mine or something like that. So, And people are usually a little bit like skeptical and don't really know what, why are you, ta- are you talking to me. So, <laughs> I think there's a is, is an interesting component of that, isn't it? Where somebody's asking for something directly so that people understand how to conclude the transaction. Like how how they can how they can resolve it, and right. I think some right. countries are more comfortable having an open transaction and just sort of seeing where it, something leads. But yeah, there's, I, there's this theory of communication involving schemas, and so like when you go into a restaurant, you 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 know the script, you know the person's going to say, "Here's your table," and then you say, "Can I see a menu?" and then you you're supposed to pick what you want to eat, and like that you kind of know where it goes and. As soon as something is off in that script, you go, whoa, what's what's going on? This isn't what I expected. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. So but... so so there you are, table and chair, the full the full Monty. <laughs> and how did you entice your I'm gonna say I wanted to say victims, but I, I won't. I, how how did you entice your conversation partners? Well, I have a little uh, poster, like a poster stand, uh standing next to a, a little um footpath through through the park and sometimes people will will pass it and stop and read and when they start reading i will usually slowly approach them yeah (laughs) (laughs) and then see like tell them ask them if they have any questions um explain it to them what what does your poster say yeah yeah right what's that what does your your poster poster say? say right uh my poster says um what what do you believe? Um, and it has a, a a few like three uh, examples on each side. There's two sides, and there's two two different sides, and uh, there's three on each side. There's three examples, and it's like uh, one is like uh, there are there are, and then a, a bracket exactly two or more than two closing bracket um, genders or mm. yeah genders. Um, or climate change is bracket not closing bracket real so it's always 
both statements, um, yeah. the op both opposites. And that I think that might be something that people need a moment to understand what is that about. And it then... was confusing just listening to it, and I knew what you were going for. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, um, that's what the poster says, and then I will usually approach them, and they will ask what's this about, and I'll explain to them it's a conversational technique. It's Why about... are you here? Where is your mm. permit? Are you authorized to do this? <laughs> so far, I haven't had anyone ask me about a permit. Um, they didn't, they didn't want to see your papers? <laughs> No, Jesus Christ! <laughs> Not yet, William. Um, <laughs> this yeah. is going to be a dark show. <laughs> My apologies. Um, that sounds—it sounds cool. I mean, honestly, it takes a hell of a lot of courage, I think, to go out there and try and do this because it, it is a weird. It's an awkward thing. People aren't used to it, so they're not sure how to interact. They're not sure, you know, that that then they've got no idea and and. I think people are generally suspicious everywhere you go about people wanting to come up and, and talk to you about something. And it's it's slightly a shame that we have this, but we it certainly is a present problem that you have to overcome if you're going to do street epistemology right. yeah. actually in the street, right? You've so, done plenty of it on the on the Discord. What do you how do you feel like it's different doing it in person? Um I mean, on Discord, it's uh, a group of people. We all know each other. Uh, we, or usually, um, sometimes there's someone new, but it's a it's a practice situation. Doing it doing it in person and also doing it with strangers in the park is very different. And um, sometimes people won't even like with this one guy. I tried to to ask for a claim something that he believes is true and he at first he didn't have something i have a list of examples what they could pick different areas of life like religion or uh or politics or whatever and he picked um something health related and i said okay so is there a claim that you believe is true and he said yeah definitely because you know <laughs> i've experienced it and and then he started telling me about his experience but he never told me the claim right he just said, you know, something health related, something healing. Yeah. Healing. Oh, okay. Do you have a claim about yeah, yeah. So I do believe that it's true because <laughs> and then he started talking. So I, yeah. I almost feel like pe people just aren't in the people aren't used to talking about their beliefs. And so it's like you, you yeah. just think, well, everyone shares my beliefs. So I don't need to talk I don't need to name it. Yeah. Maybe. Sometimes. Did you did, did is it was it was it? Was it, I mean, this sounds a bit like what uh, Dave at Sound Epistemology was trying with the hidden claim position. Did you find that you, there was any traction you could gain from his hidden unintentionally claim? Well, I, I tried to get to a claim and we did get to a claim, still a little bit vague, but there, there was a claim that we talked about. Um, but yeah, like it's something that at first year, I was a little bit confused, like how, how do I how do we now get to identifying the claim? How, how do we get to that step, right? So, uh, but yeah, I've, I've had a few good talks, so, and some of them are recorded, so um, that may or may not have something to do with uh, a potential YouTube channel. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. It looks like John from Quality Questions says, people often find my cameras and mics intimidating, especially older folks. Did you, did you run into any problems 
like getting consent to record or anything like that? Uh, actually, I printed out uh, a form. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. Because in, in Germany, people are really, uh, really care about privacy and our privacy laws. And I wanted to make sure that everything is watertight. So uh -huh. I would usually bring that up a little bit later when they had already consented. And then I would explain, okay, so in, in order to be on the safe side, blah, 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 could you please read? That's a good idea. Yeah, read that and just, just sign if that's okay. And you can always... Huh. You can always uh, uh, ask me to remove the content later because our law says that you now, you can. Do they have to agree to give you the rights to the movie adaptation of the conversation? Or um, that's can we not talk about that? That's on the like <laughs> still negotiating with Tom fine Cruise. Print. It's in the fine yeah, print. Tom Cruise it's is playing Janusz. Yeah. Um, I spent a long day, I guess. So yeah, I was. There is a there is a sort of weird optic, isn't there, with like the fact that you've got GoPros strapped to sort of every sort of flat surface of you, and and you're kind of doing the least extreme sport you could imagine. But there, it, it that certainly creates an optic. Um, yeah. Well, I, I don't wondering... do that anymore. I, I now have um, a tripod with a camera. In. And that's what I was going to ask. Yeah. So so I'm wondering whether like. I know Anthony has spoken in the past. I don't know if he still believes it, but he's spoken in the past about it being beneficial that it's a stand-up conversation. That there's something mm -hmm. about the um, the temporariness of it, and 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 also your ability to sort of observe body language and discomfort a little bit more easily when people are standing versus sort of partially hidden by a desk. Mm. Now you've had some experience of both. Um, did you find the desk dynamic? I mean, you're, you're obviously a bit more experienced in sort of you know, different person slightly, but, you know, did you find anything that you think you noticed about the difference between the desk dynamic versus the standing up dynamic? I, I think the, the biggest difference was that back when I did it standing up with, with uh, the GoPro strapped to my chest, I found it a lot harder to approach people and ask them if they were interested in having this kind of conversation. So I, I was still a little bit more shy and um now it feels, when, when, it feels when, more like you're the hunter versus they're coming right, to you, right? yeah yeah but i mean still now last time i was in the park for like i think like one and a half or two hours no one no one was interested i had no one uh who who wanted to have a conversation so i started going to groups of people and telling them what i was doing and <laughs> that's interesting there's usually a group dynamic there's usually some people in the group who will say, oh, that, that sounds like something that you would want to do. And they point to someone because they have <laughs> someone in the group who, you know, they know he's into that. Always that easier to volunteer now. somebody else for things. Right, like right. <laughs> and that sometimes that works. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I approach people uh, now more than I used to. And I don't know if, of course, it changes the dynamic somewhat, but I couldn't. Yeah. I can really tell you what the what it is, what's different. Um, yeah. Yeah, Reed's presentational style definitely. It, it's it's such, the optic is so completely different from sort of the GoPro strapped and the clipboard and the sort of you know. Whereas Reed is sat there with the table and the banners, and it it, it looks more like an event, like a um, like like right, something like is something, happening. Yeah. A but, booth at a fair. Rather than just some guy with cameras um, trying to, to 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 get you into an ambiguous conversation, and I think that there's a, yeah, the, 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 but I can see Anthony's point. Like I do think, like the observation of body language, I, I've definitely noticed watching his videos. I found observing the body language 
much more interesting uh, in in his videos because of the sort of standing up. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. I wonder. I wonder if. Um, I wonder if there's a. I wonder if there's a. You know, a thing there. Did, did, Chucky, have you you've you've done most of your conversations? I think like I have on online, right? Yeah, yeah. Because because I'm so interested in talking to friends and family. Like um, I've either done them on the phone or over Zoom or whatever. N none of none of this going into the park to random stranger stuff. And um, you know, it's it's obviously easier to get somebody to talk to. But on the other hand, it's weirder to record. Like there's immediately suspicion that goes up. Why do you want to record a conversation with me? Like. What's going on there? With some people, yes. But usually when I explain, um, well, I, I, I've, I've been studying and I've been, I've been practicing yeah. this conversational technique. And I want to, first of all, I want to be able to rewatch it and see how I did and see where I can improve. And second, uh, I want to show that to people so that they can learn the technique yeah. as well. That usually uh, they, they understand that, and then the, of course there's people who who will go. I'll have a conversation, but not on camera. Yeah, um, I've had a couple of those. Yeah, yeah. I I've been explaining that I want to demonstrate that people can have con kind conversations about contentious topics, and like you can go to my YouTube channel and see me talk about gun control or whatever, and like it's not an argument. That's one of the hardest things I found when I was trying to start out with the YouTube channel was like having no videos to demonstrate that I was honestly doing this. And, yeah, there's and, a bit and, of a catch <laughs> point too. Yeah, there is a really strong problem of bootstrapping this stuff, and I think yeah. uh, I've I've slightly cheated it by choosing to interview people within the community and as well as uh, this, so they get the sense of a, you know, the kinds of conversation I'm having. So it's been quite useful, but um, it is a difficult bootstrapping problem. Um, but yeah, I, I I worry that a little bit that the um, conversations that might be held over Zoom and in these calls, I wonder if if um, people might not forget that they are being recorded. I mean, because they they, they I think eventually, yeah, they do. Yeah, and I wonder if I, I I don't. Yeah, have you ever sent people the video before they're publishing it? Oh, I always do. So my my oh, agreement okay. is that I'll send you the link, and then you can choose whether you want it to be made public or not. Yeah, and I, I, I always, get the same. I get the same veto power. Yeah, I always ask people at the end if they're okay with it, um, and I I worry a little bit that that might mean that they felt good at the end, but maybe they'd forgotten something about two, you know a third of the way through where they maybe said yeah. something they weren't comfortable with, and it yeah. Up until now, that's that's been my reasoning, but I've found that the problem is some people have such busy lives that they can't take the time to watch it through, and then so that I just keep waiting, and it's been like. It's been weeks. I'd really like to put this video out. Can do you mind like giving me the go ahead? So I'm probably just gonna start asking people uh, after well, the conversation. If I heard, haven't heard from you until that day, I'm gonna assume <laughs> that you're okay with. It. Yeah, yeah. It's good to be released all of major news out. No. Um, yeah, it, it's it's a difficult thing. I, I think uh, how to. I feel like I feel like I, I've been trying to do that. I've been working on it. I have I need to get back to it, but I've been working on a short, like literally two minute video that tries to explain the concepts of SE as as fr in, in friendly and open terms as possible. And I think that the, the lack of that is something that I I'm, I suffer from. I want to be able to send something very, very short to somebody that mm. and, and it's hard to be sincere without sounding like you're trying to trick somebody into doing like it's a scheme. 
Um, and it's a problem with communication in general, I think, in today's day and age, that almost all, all every if you produce something that's trying to persuade somebody of something, like it sounds identical to to like somebody trying to honestly explain it, because they've gotten good at making those two things look the same. Right. Right. And and so it's really hard to 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 just try to be open and friendly and convey some information very quickly without trying to sound like this is a well rehearsed pitch. It's a it's a routine, and that 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 kind of echoes. I think, you know, I always struggle with the introduction. Hi, I'm I have this hobby that I do this thing called street epistemology, and you kind of you're aware that they're aware that this is already a bit weird, and you're like, why are you telling me about your hobby? And 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 so yeah. you, you try and explain it as quickly. And I, I thought, by the way, John, uh, quality questions has, has done a really good job of this in a good number of his videos. And I keep trying to remember, I'm neat, I'm going to learn John's patter for this because it's it's very neat. Um, and importantly, he references um, a, your knowledge. He talks about knowledge quite often in his introductory speech, which I like because I seem to always forget that, despite epistemology being right in there. Yeah. Um, I, I talk about why people believe what they believe quite often, but that's not the same as knowledge. And I think that that's that's, or at least it's subtly different. And I think it's kind of neat how well John does with this. Do you guys have any particular phraseologies that you like to use in your introduction? Your I, I like to say I've noticed these last couple of years, people are becoming increasingly tribal and I want to break through so that people can talk to other people, other tribes. Yeah. The problem with people that say that though, is they don't normally mean it though. What they normally mean is I want to be more effective at selling you what I believe that that's Perhaps, what people yeah. very I mean, often they think here. Ultimately in this age of advertising and, and all this stuff, like it's hard to know whether anybody's being sincere. If anybody in chat has got any recommendations for opening opening lines to explore or represent SE, I think that would be a great thing to explore. Um, I'd love to hear what people's uh, opening pitches to strangers uh, would be to explain what street epistemology is and, and what, how the interviews work. I think that would be, that'd be very or useful. If, or if you have any any other experiences from other countries where you think that cultural the culture in that country affects the way that you, you approach people or that people... Are, um, that people react when you approach them. Um, also, feel free to call in. I was, yeah, feel yeah, free I, to call in. I, I was just going to ask you about that, Janosch, because because they, they say that comedy is not easy in Germany because in the German language, the kind of premise comes at the beginning, of, of the, or, the, or the sort of the noun comes at the beginning. Um, so you can't sort of long. It's not so easy to long tease the joke to sort of imply that it might no. be something, and at the sudden they switch it in for the thing you're talking about. And reveal the humor of the the situation in Germany. It's sort of the big the the, the the subject comes right at the beginning, and then you sort of explain what had happened. And so comedy is not so apparently as easy in German. I'm wondering well, you, whether there's a correlation there with is is how do you feel about SE in German versus SE in English? Huh. Good question. Well, first of all, I don't. Yeah, there is some freedom in switching around the uh, the different parts of the sentence in German. Um, I don't know if there is a fundamental difference in doing SE in German in general. There are some things that are different. Like, for example, um, we we don't have the distinction between belief and faith. So um, people usually don't, don't uh, bring up faith as a reason for believing something because that would in German, that's both the word Glaube and that would 
be like, I believe it because of belief. Like that, that's what it would sound like. In, or I, I, it's, yeah. a, it's a little <laughs> more obvious. There's a problem with that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, in general, I don't know. Uh, most, most um, principles of SE work the same way. I'd say uh, the outsider test of, it's called the outsider test of faith, but really it's just an outsider test, right? You can do right. it pretty much anything. Um, so yeah, I don't know if there is, there is a fundamental difference because of the language. That's awesome. So I see we have a caller. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Let me invite you to the uh, Shane the Skeptic. Hey, how's it going? Oh. <laughs> Hi, Shane. <laughs> well, that, that was brief, but still, thanks for calling in. <laughs> well, this is working beautifully. Um, honestly, Shane, as far as I can tell, you've been added to the call, but for some reason, it's just a completely black screen. Um, right. It works for me. Maybe oh, and I, haven't and I can't hear anybody now. Okay, that's definitely just his end because I could still see you two. I yeah. can still see all three of you. Yeah, we can see and hear you, but William is having problems. Suppose he can't. Uh... Yeah, it's weird that that happened right when I popped in, though. Okay, uh, I can yeah. I can hear you guys and see you guys now. Hi, Shane. Okay. <laughs> Cool. Did I, did I wig out for you guys? Because you guys all froze up. No, you were. Your no. screen was like loaded the whole time. So oh, weird. that was so weird. Sorry. Yeah, your audio was still on and everything. Like we still heard you. So a <laughs> um, little bit of technical difficulties, but uh, right. All right, welcome, uh, welcome, Shane. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, I was hesitant to call in because I didn't know if my topic would really uh was like the kind of thing you were looking for. Because I figured you're probably because I used to do SE, so like I know the types of claims that you look for to kind of do se on um but uh i think it was chucky who made the the recommendation because i asked a question in the live chat about you guys thoughts on um coherentism versus foundationalism in epistemology and um if you were aware of what those were or what your thoughts on uh the, that topic so can you tell us what those those long words mean sure so in epistemology um I'll just give you the the best explanations that I've I've read about. I'm a huge epistemology nerd, so I've I've read, I've I've found the most simplified versions that I could. So, a foundationalist epistemology um, would be an epistemology. Think think of a upside down pyramid in which the very bottom of the pyramid, the blocks uh, at the very bottom of this pyramid, would be your foundational beliefs or your basic beliefs and. Um, those beliefs would support some further beliefs. So, for example, if you had an answering machine, this is from a 2006 textbook, so that's why it's, it's there's answering machines in this example. Um, if you had an answering machine, you, you might see that uh, the answering machine is blinking, and your belief that the red light is blinking forms your belief that you have a message. So one belief, the belief that the light is blinking, is more basic than the other, that you have a new message. So in a foundationalist epistemology, you know, your strongest beliefs would, would rest at the bottom of this upside down pyramid. And then on top, you would have your, um, your other beliefs, which were supported by those ones, right? Um, and then a coherentist epistemology is sort of like, um, think of a crossword puzzle, puzzle and the way in which anytime um, you fill out a crossword puzzle, Anytime you get one word, you become further justified in figuring out what the other words are. Um, that's how epistemology, uh, a coherentist epistemology works with belief. Any one belief that you have 
further supports some other belief that you have, you know, because your beliefs, the, the idea is that the coherence of your beliefs is what confers justification. Um, and in my opinion, I think that um, SE kind of assumes a foundationalist epistemology, which is fine for me because I'm a foundationalist. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I was interested in what you guys would think about, um, about how each of those epistemologies would tie into SE. That's an interesting question. I'm, I'm not, I'm not as familiar with those terms as I think I perhaps should be, um, on those ideas, but your, your explanations are really good. So I appreciate that. So thanks for that. Um, thank you. I, I, my first reaction to that would be, why would it not be both? Why, why would people's views not be supported by both uh, of those premises, um, those ideas? So I, I don't think that there's anything necessarily inconsistent with being a coherentist and doing SE. Um, I just feel like if you do SE, normally you ask the person, you know, some claim, some belief, right? And then you start asking them why it is that they believe this. And it seems like as you ask question after question after question, normally what you're doing is trying to find the very foundation of this mm. belief. Um, but I, I, you know, once I start saying it out loud, I could see how you could look at the questions yeah. as, you know, sort of filling out the crossword puzzle and seeing if they become justified in what they think, if everything that they think is coherent together. I feel um, like some conversations you wind up, going really deep and you realize actually this is a conversation about values for example and that the the underlying value is x and not y but sometimes you just realize well this belief is actually just being propped up by everything else that's in my life you know like and i feel like right. that's foundationalist versus coherentist is, is that the correct word um coherentist yeah yeah so for me personally like I do think coherence plays a role in justification of beliefs, but I'm still a foundationalist because I think that, you know, like in order to believe that um, we are talking right now, I have to believe that my computer is on. Like my belief that we're talking is dependent on my belief that my computer's on. You know, my belief that my computer is on is dependent on my belief that computers exist, you know, and then of course you have like so forth and so forth. And, um, I guess, you know, I, I guess like either epistemology that you have, you could still do SE, but I think you probably, um, from putting consideration into the two different epistemologies, um, I don't know. I feel like you could become more informed about how you, how you approach the conversation. Can I ask you a, a question to, to yeah. test this idea? Yeah. Can I use, so I heard you say that your foundational belief is that your computer is on. And then you, from that, you, your sort of higher level belief is that we're having a conversation. Can, um, can, okay, sorry. Yeah. I, 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 if, I would be reluctant to call that the foundational, but I. More foundational? I more foundational, yes. Yeah. So yeah. like, like what you're saying, I, I agree with, yeah. So, so let me ask you a question. Can, can we use the fact that you are seeing our pictures as evidence for the fact that your computer's on. Um, yes. So maybe it goes both ways. Yeah, this is, this is, this is definitely, 
that that's definitely I guess the, that the... example that that that's a good point to make about that example um yeah okay that's a pretty good point but, but i think there are there are probably um ex other examples where we could probably agree that there are more foundational beliefs um underlying other beliefs like for example people who are uh, who call themselves pro-life who are against abortion sometimes uh they the reason for that is they believe in a soul and the reason why they believe in a soul is right. that they believe in the bible and in in a christian god so right. usually um if all of that wasn't there maybe they wouldn't believe that abortion was always wrong because they wouldn't believe in a soul um yeah peter yeah. Peter in chat says this is basically the same thing. You keep asking, why do you believe that? Why do you believe that? And you get you get down to foundational beliefs. I, I don't know. I mean, sometimes you go in a circle, and I'm not sure there's anything wrong with that either. So what, one of the things I think is really important, I, I talk to people sometimes about this idea of a tree. Um, so people's beliefs are like a tree, and they, they definitely have a they, they frequently will have a trunk. And sometimes when you're talking to people in a, in a street epistemology conversation, what you're, they'll start throwing all kinds of things. They'll, they'll assert that the, the, the evidence and their reason for believing what they believe is, is, is a sort of huge, complicated web of ideas. And yeah. they'll talk about the sort of stories and the nature of those stories and, and the interplay between those stories. I sort of talk about it sometimes like it's the, the Dungeons and Dragons rule set. Like it seems convincing because it's so coherent within their world, in their mind. Right. They feel that that's the reason. And when when I talk to somebody who's doing that, I, I'm, I am doing that exact thing where I keep trying to get to a more foundational belief because I'm looking right. to get to the trunk. And I think a lot of the time when people are doing street epistemology and they're not used to talking to people who are kind of responding in this way, they do what I call whacking away at the branches. They're just they're just swatting away one branch, but none of these branches are really important. And mm -hmm. um, what you need to do is to get to the sort of the core belief that props up yeah. all of those branches so that you can really actually understand that foundation. Right. And one of the key questions I think in street epistemology that we asked to try to do that is saying, would you change your mind if, if you were to discover that this piece of information wasn't true? And if they say no, then you can just move on. Right. Because, because that's not really holding the view up. Right. And so you can right. test whether you're sort of. Although I, so on one hand, I agree with that, but I also think that sometimes a belief could have more than one supporting block. This we can call beliefs blocks and the metaphor for the pyramid. Sure. Right. Um, so sometimes somebody might have a belief and um, you you ask them why they believe this. And suppose there are three reasons why they believe this, right? And you ask them why they believe this and they cite one of these reasons. You might get them to realize, you know, maybe this reason isn't reliable or if you changed your mind on this, if this wasn't true, would you still believe it? And that person might very well say, yeah, I would still believe it even if that wasn't true. And I, I think that that shows that that isn't their um, sole foundation, but it doesn't show that they don't have any further justification. It just shows that that's not a justification for it. Right, um, right. And if you get them to realize that, then I do think you help get them a step away from, you know, whatever that uh, supported belief is. Well, uh, it's it's many oftentimes it is um, it's explained as this question helps you determine whether or not it's actually the reason, the real reason why they believe it. But what right. if it's, like you said, you have three blocks holding this up. Right. And if one, either of those three 
falls away, the other two are still are still there. Right. Only if all three of them uh, are not supporting that belief anymore, then they will they will start doubting the belief. Yeah. So and they could be more or less equally important, or at least all important reasons. But yeah. you wouldn't. They would still say if that was reason wasn't there, <clears throat> you still believe it. They would say right. yes, it wouldn't change my belief. Yeah, because if you were to so, ask yeah. me, for example, like why I believe that climate change exists and um, and is increased by human activity, one of the first things I would probably cite would be the fact that ninety eight percent of scientists who study climate change say that um, that it's real. But if you were to ask me, you know, what if it wasn't 98%? What if it, what if it was 60%, right? You, you then would, would, I, I would say I would reconsider it, but no, I would still believe that it, that climate change is real and caused by human activity. And that's because I have an understanding of the process in which it happens, right? Yeah. So, so part of this is, part of this, I, I think, is inferring. Uh, unintentionally that we are quite binary we either believe something or we don't and i don't think that's how people are at all so so in, in your example Yanosh, of the three sort of trunk positions right i i think even if those all three of those were were heavy influences on your confidence for believing a certain thing you removing one of them certainly couldn't leave the person as confident as they were previously i i don't think people yeah, really right. do binarily yeah, I think what's missing in this is, at least for me, and, and I sort of imagine other people feel this way, even if they don't recognize it, but I don't have beliefs. I have confidences. I, like, so I, I don't think it's possible for a person to not have beliefs. Well, like I'm being a little bit tongue in cheek. What, what I'm really saying is, you know, I don't, I don't hold anything at 100%. It's just some things I'm quite confident about. Some things I'm a less confident. Some things right. I'm even less confident. So, so, um, so when we talk about evidence, would be ab absolute certainty. The idea that you could be a hundred percent certain of anything. Um, I, I for over two years held the position that there was wasn't such thing as absolute certainty. So, you know, I'm not going to criticize anybody for uh, holding that position. But I think that there are two propositions that anyone could be absolutely certain of. Um, but I think it's important to recognize that um, knowledge doesn't have to be absolute certainty and beliefs don't have to be knowledge. There could be cer certain things that you believe, but maybe your threshold of justification isn't high enough for you to categorize it as right. um, as a case of knowledge. Right. And so um, I think and that I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. It's, it's just I, I think we're in agreement like. I see these pieces of evidence not as propping up in the sense of it either falls or it doesn't fall. They're all things that get me to go from 65 to 70%, you know? Yeah, and so right. something, if something falls, I don't go to zero. I go from 75 to 65. Well, so I would agree with that. And the same thing that, um, that William had, had just previously said about it not being really binary for most people. But I think that it does um change with respect to the proposition that the person believes because there are certain things that um people have an emotional bias toward and then some things that they don't right and so i think that basically we were talking about beliefs having you know maybe three supporting blocks i think it's important to remember that while that may be the case for some propositions that they believe in there may very well also be ones 
that are supported by a single block. And that if you can get that single block to fall away, then you can get that um, upper belief to fall away too. Yeah. One, one other thing I'd like to point out is like, I think, I think that there is, there is a tendency. I think human beings uh, have hold a wide range of views that are probably even contradictory, right? They, they hold yeah. models for things that aren't necessarily um, coherent in their own actions but they become coherent in what they choose to do in the world so i i think i think what's not really as important is is what level of confidence you have because at the moment you have to choose whether to act or not act in the world in accordance with this belief you have made a binary decision so i i think one of the things that's interesting is you know for example i I consider myself an atheist and i do that because i do not believe or certainly do not act in the world in accordance with the idea that any one religion is true or true or that gods exist. I do not act in the world under that belief. And even though intellectually I could say I can't know for sure that there is no God, like I certainly do not act as if one exists. And to me, that's as a closer right. definition to believing something to be true as anything. Um, so I, I don't think I, I usually talk about the difference between a truth and a de facto truth. I don't think we can know true things 100% true. You know, we have all these kinds of philosophical jiggery pokery that we, we we can create that essentially means that we can't really know much um, for sure, if indeed anything. But what we can do is we can act as if something is true. We can treat something as true. And so it's in treating something that is true that's actually really important. To well, us. in a sense, I feel like you're defining knowledge in such a way that it that um, it's like synonymous with certainty. Because, you know, if you say that we can't know anything um, to follow that up with for 100 percent, I think raises the importance of the point that you don't have to have 100 uh, percent certainty of something in order to know it. And then I guess mm-hmm. the question that that raises is what level of confidence or justification do you have um, for your belief to be a case of knowledge? And then above that, what does it take for it to be? A case of certainty because i talked earlier about uh certainty and i mentioned that i thought there were only two propositions you could be certain of i think one is that you exist and the other is that you're experiencing now i don't think you could have absolute certainty that what you're experiencing exists but you know so for example like you could be in a dream or a brain in a vat or the victim of an evil demon any of the skeptical scenarios right um but what you cannot be wrong about is that you are experiencing having the conversation. Shane, I knew you were going to go down this road. And I've been thinking about this quite a lot recently. And I really, really want to have this conversation, but I have a horrible feeling we will be here for a very long time if we do it. But once you I, get into skeptical arguments and epistemology, <laughs> it's hard to shut the fuck up. So, yeah, I, no, I, would, I, would, I would like to, to just go back to the initial question. Uh, what kind of epistemology are we usually using when we're doing street epistemology? I think that is in the word street and we are not most people who are doing street epistemology are not consciously using a specific type of epistemology it's mostly intuitive and you can see that in the tic-tac experiment you you use that as an example where you you it is a way of of suggesting a certain a certain epistemology to people that you're talking to yeah. And some people will reject that with respect to, to like their religious beliefs, for example. Right. But yeah. um, part but, of the but conversation. That is, sorry. sorry, 
right. I, just part of the conversation when you when you're having a talk with somebody is figuring out what they find to be reliable. Yeah, yeah. And I love that you keep using the word reliable. But if I explain why, I'm going to go in too long. So where are you, where are you going to say, William? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I just wanted to say, um, I, I, I think one thing that's really important is that the the nature of when something is considered to be true or whether somebody considers themselves to know something or what somebody even considers to know, they know, right. I think is evaluated in context every time they think about it. Right. I, I, and I think context is hugely important to when somebody will act in the world as if something is true or not. So I, I don't, I, I think people are constantly evaluating their confidence in relation to the risk reward in the moment when they have to choose to act on it. I actually, uh, man, there's a paper I should actually send you a link to about uh, what's called the stake sensitivity of knowledge. And um, like I'm what's that. called a, a contextualist. So I think that what it takes to have a case of knowledge is um, context sensitive to what is at stake um, as to whether or not you know it. So, right. um, you know, um, if, if it's a matter of like what you had for breakfast this morning, what it takes for me to count that as a case of knowledge is going to be a much lower threshold for, you know, um, does this medicine cure this illness that I have? If I have an illness, right, that's going to require a higher threshold uh, to be a case of knowledge. So I, I think that whether or not you know something is sensitive to what's at stake um, upon acting upon that uh, that belief, that case of knowledge. So... I yeah. agree with what you're saying. I really love that. There's a there's a cool little thought experiment about um, you, if you leave an apartment, you go downstairs, you know, you you meet your friend for drinks, and you leave their apartment at the top of this st story of flats, and you sort of go all the way down to the bottom, and your your flatmate says to you, "Oh wait, did I lock the door?" And you're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure you locked the door," and you mean it in the moment. You're you're honestly representing what you, you you're pretty confident, like enough to say, "Yeah, yeah, you locked the door. Yeah, you're cool." you later leave and you come back and you find out there's been a, a horrible murder or a, a robbery or something gone on and the police are outside and they said did you see him lock the door oh god no no i, I can't i'm not sure i really don't know i don't know if i locked the door the context has shifted all of a sudden right. the stakes are very different now all of a sudden and in both times you're not really lying you're, you're just representing right your, there's a there's a what, different um what's at stake is different in each of these scenarios. 100%. So what you require to count the same belief as a case of knowledge shifts and then suddenly isn't justified enough for you to count it as a case of knowledge. And here's something interesting is I, I honestly think in reflecting on it with that, con in the first instance, you're probably reinforcing your belief internally that you they did lock the door. And so casually later on, if you were to be asked again without the, the, the concerning context, you would probably be more confident and say, yeah, yeah, he locked the door. I've already said that once. I'm right. pretty sure that's true. But in the in the concerned interrogation of your knowledge on this matter, you will massively decrease your confidence in saying later on, if asked, did you did you know that he locked the door? No, no, I, I really have no idea about whether he locked the door or not. Right. And and you're not you're not just you're not just changing how you're representing the view. I think you're actually altering your perception of that memory, that idea. Um, and I think that that, that I think your example this... is even similar to the one used in the in the paper about what I was referring to. So that's awesome. a, it's an awesome example. Yeah, I love it. Thank you. Uh, it's it's I, I don't know. It's it's certainly not mine. I don't know where I got it from. But um, but in any case, I think it's um, I think one of one of these all of these things I think are really interesting. But I think fundamentally, I think what it should breed in us is, is a certain amount of empathy 
when we're interacting with somebody and actually asking them to reflect on what they believe. Because the truth is, I think, honestly, most of the time, they don't really know what they believe. Like, they haven't really right. thought about it. They very rarely had a reason to articulate it and certainly not try to justify it. Um, and so I think yeah. it's uh, it's super interesting to, to well, super important that we're empathetic to the fact that that might be a difficult thing for them to address. And that right. doesn't mean they're necessarily being dishonest. Right. And I, I want to address the question. Um, it said, can you reasonably be a foundationalist and a contextualist? I think yes, because there's no, um, there's no contradiction between um, contextualism and foundationalism. So in epistemology, there might be various different um, areas that are binary. Um, so you might have like, um, I, I'm pretty sure rationalism versus empiricism is binary. You might be a rationalist and um, a foundationalist. I, I disagree with that claim. You think between empiricism and rationalism? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like rational, logical arguments can provide evidence the same way that empiricism can provide evidence. All right, get a room, you guys. Well, that yeah, that doesn't mean that that those two aren't binary, though. That's just saying that you I, I felt like them. you were saying that they are mutually exclusive. Is, no, is that no, no, what you no. So what I'm saying is, when I say that empiricism and rationalism are mutually exclusive, I'm not saying that you either have empirical senses or you have rationality. Like I would agree. Like empiricists don't deny, you know, that you use rationality to arrive at beliefs, and rationalists um, don't always deny that you use empirical senses the difference in whether you're rationalist or or, um, or empiricist really just comes down to what you think the the foundation is and for me i think the foundation of one's epistemology is perception and perception is via empirical senses so i would be an empiricist but i think i could come to a rational belief but in doing so i would be um, reasoning out through premises and the premises I would have arrived at through my empirical senses. <sighs> Shane, you're really, really making, I, I know you and I are going to have an interesting conversation at some point in the future <laughs> about cogito agosum and, and we want to know. Yeah. But I yeah. feel like this is not the time for that. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah I think I, we're, we're going, going down a little rabbit hole. We are. Uh, yeah. Uh, but <laughs> I, I, I wish I find very fascinating. I, I have, I dove into like, uh, the, the question of the different epistemologies in the past. And I want to quote um, part of a, a little um, essay that a German philosopher wrote about truth. It's just called, What is Truth? And I'm, I'm going to quote it for the sole purpose of sounding smart. I, by the way, I, tr I translated that into, into English. Um, and the quote is, to reduce it to a simple formula, Enlightenment is necessarily based on a pragmatic, hypothetical, corresponding coherence theory of truth. All right. I think that's a good... Makes perfect sense. <laughs> Wait, can you say, say that again? I was going to say, I was following that, actually. <laughs> I, I, I suspect you were no. suspecting that we wouldn't. <laughs> what was the, the quote again, the last part? Right. Enlightenment is necessarily based on a pragmatic, hypothetical, corresponding coherence theory of truth. Yeah, I think that's not bad actually. Okay. I I don't know. I don't even. Okay. I know some of those words. What does that mean? <laughs> well, so, so the coherence. I was theory, hoping for that reaction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The coherence theory of uh, of truth. It, there there are uh, various theories of truth, which is weird. Um, but the coherence theory would be um, 
that what is true is what, uh, or that would be, the, no, I'm thinking of the correspondence theory. Is that the same thing as the coherence theory? Those are different. Um, I was hoping that we 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 could use that quote as a like a, a way <laughs> to... <laughs> I mean, I mean <laughs> yeah, because yeah, because I think this is this is turning into a, uh, just us nerding out about epistemology, and I don't it's know. It's very how... academic. Yeah, very it academic. Yeah. Not, we're not we're not street enough. That's the problem. We need to be right, more yeah. street. <laughs> yeah, street cred. But but nonetheless, Shane, that was. Uh, thank you very much for for joining us for this. It's been it's been really fun chatting to you, and I genuinely hope we can catch up at some point in the future and have that oh, yeah. conversation that we can't and have here right now <laughs> i'll leave um i'll leave some uh in the comments rather than in the chat so they stay i'll leave some comments to some papers regarding uh some of the things i was referring to so oh, that's a great idea that would them. be awesome thank you so um, much man. yeah thanks for having me on it was a great conversation thanks yeah, for coming thanks Cheers. for calling you're on Oh, we get the. Right. There's like there's such a such a nice group of people that, that seem to join us. So we're gonna get I one know, crazy yeah. crazy racist like drunken person or something at some point, right? <laughs> I mean, it's it's gonna happen. I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I do. All right. So I, so just just before we move on, let's let's maybe have a reset. So we're doing a call-in show. Shane was our guest. If you want to call and either explore a claim of your own, or maybe you have a question. There's been a lot of questions in chat. So if anyone wants to pull one onto the show, please click the link at the top of the pinned comment. And let me add that if you have, if you think that all of your claims are lame or, or just too trivial, some of the greatest SE conversations I have had were mm. about very trivial sounding claims like the, the earth is round or uh, water is wet. Yeah. So I've always wanted to explore a claim where it's like, I'm so confident that it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to share this real quick. This is um, this is uh, quality questions. This is John's. Uh, we remember earlier in the show we were talking about how people introduce themselves, and right. this is how John he's got it down. Which is, I don't know if he wrote this from memory or just they, he's 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 tuned this. But I like this. Uh, epistemology is the study of knowledge, and I and what we believe. I'm asking people, what do you think is true? And uh, I can ask question. I can ask the question, how do you know? Um, I think that's a really good introduction, actually. Yeah. It's really short. It's really to the point, and it really talks about epistemology, what, what that is, gets, gets that sort of Band-Aid ripped off really soon. Um, I really like yeah. that. So, yeah, thanks, John. The only, the only thing that I would put on top of that is actually try to avoid using the word epistemology. I just say I'm interested in how you came to your beliefs. Sup, I do a thing called What's street. There? <laughs> I, I don't even say I do a thing. I don't even say I do a thing. I'm just interested in having conversations where I explore how you came to your belief. That's what I said. Uh, uh, William, um, if you ever go out and do SE, you are going to have to try it that way. Just say, I'm, I'm doing a thing <laughs> called do street. street. Yeah. <laughs> there was a great Reddit post earlier this week about there was a dialogue between like Socrates and Anthony Magmana Bosco and it oh. was about street street epistemology and he gets held up at knife point and it's it's kind of a ridiculous thing but it was actually quite entertaining is Anthony Magna Bosco getting fan fiction now? Is that what's happening? Is this the world we're in? It's is absolutely. It? Yeah. it was. It was. It was philosophical fanfic with Anthony <laughs> Magna Bosco and Socrates. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how, it, how far away from erotic fiction? How far away are we from that? Do we think? 
depends, with any group of people into. it's an inevitable it's an inevitable thing depends what you're into yeah um, indeed but like it, it. it was a it was a horrible straw man of anthony though so there's that I, I think it was it was just it started as a play on the street and it was you know a guy yeah. is, i'm gonna rob you and so it, but I, I think it was yeah. more interesting than than banal banal I, I feel it's it's quite it's definitely is interesting when people try to par when when people are mocking street epistemology and sort of using the caricature version of it, it it's really noticeable it's really obvious I think and I think that's that's quite interesting how um, I think it's it's quite encouraging how coherent street epistemology is so that when you see the sort of the knockoff version the sort of straw man version of it it, it becomes most uh, apparent it's very clear. So we've got a couple questions in the in the chat. Um, one from Peter. Should we start sequentially? Is the goal of SE to improve others' epistemology? If so, do they have an agreement on what a good epistemology is? Yeah. So I, I have a very strong view about this, and my view is that m m the purpose of street epistemology is is to encourage your interlocutor your conversation partner to honestly reflect on the reasons why they believe what they believe that's the goal it's to encourage honest reflection in the person you're speaking to that's it that's an end that that's it drop mic walk away that's my very strong stance on what i believe why, street epistemology why is. would you want to do that why would i want to do that yeah i think it's probably I find it quite an entertaining exercise. Why would I want to do it personally, or why would I want somebody to reflect on what they believe? Do you mean? Sorry. Yeah. Why? Like, what? Why is that? Is that a good thing to get someone to reflect on their the reasons yeah. for? Yeah. Yeah, I think why, it is. Why is it a good thing? I think it's a good thing because it encourages people to notice when they have bad reasons for believing the things that they believe and change and and when they believe things that are not. Uh, based on uh, held for good reasons they they are likely to believe things that are wrong or damaging or harmful uh, or could lead to wrong or damaging or harmful things so and and harmful to themselves or other people and or other people so, yeah so it kind so of goes you... back to sorry i just want to add one little thing it, okay. it's very much related to something we talked about last week where um street epistemology doesn't even have to be about beliefs it can be about feelings and fears you, you might think um, you know, you're in danger of getting bitten by a dog or something, and you could explore that belief. How how dangerous do you think dogs are? How how likely do you think you're going to get bitten if you go on a walk in the park today? So, William, would it be fair to say that the goal is to uh, to decrease the risk of people doing dangerous things or harming no, themselves or others? I think for me personally, I feel it's more about wanting other people to be have better lives and feel better and yeah. Well, feel oh. better is not necessarily true, actually. It's not necessarily about feeling better. There may be something that is not true but makes you feel better. That it, I still think it would be better for you not to believe on the basis that 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 allowing for that belief system might then open the door to you believing other things that might harm you so i believe you are i believe human beings are better served if their mental models better map to reality so that is that your goal to get to hopefully get as many people as possible to have a an accurate understanding of reality and have their beliefs map onto reality 
better map onto reality. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I would say so. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. and that, so, encouraging them to reflect, and and I think that that's a slightly more ambitious goal than the one you attempt to do in a single SE conversation, right? In a single SE conversation, you're just trying to reflect, help them reflect on why they believe they believe what they believe, um, and and. Uh, and I think that in doing so, that they they are hopefully going to notice something interesting about their reasons, or even just through. I mean, one of the things we were talking about the other day, I, I did an interview with somebody. We were talking about this, just the mere act of them articulating what it is that they're oh, thinking yeah. is is an incredibly useful thing. Just because most of the time, especially for these deeply held beliefs, we're sort of taught you're not supposed to talk about them. Um, they're, they're not to be discussed, and they're only usually discussed, therefore, with fellow members of the people yeah. that believe the same thing, and you get these little echo chambers. Societally, there's something private about them. The Should be protected beliefs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and 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 exploring it with a stranger, I think, is quite an arresting experience for and people. What I've found really interesting, I don't remember who said it, but someone said it, it's a you have one part of your brain trying to explain to to. Uh, to put your belief into words, then there is a different part of your brain listening yeah. to to your just having the belief or, or uh, putting it into words, and then um, listening to your to the interviewer repeating it back to you. That's another different part yeah. of your brain processing basically the same thing or the same idea, and that sometimes it can be enough for someone to go, "Oh, wait, hold on, that." It doesn't sound right. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm gonna have to change that. I'm gonna yeah. have to change the phrase. I think right. my my favorite experience in any conversation I've had was um, repeating someone's words back to them verbatim, and then them going, "No." <laughs> <laughs> what kind of fool yeah. would say that? It's not. Now that I've heard it out loud, <laughs> it's clearly not true. One of the things that seems to keep occurring to me, becoming a reoccurring theme, I guess, in, in some of the conversations I've been having recently on my channel has been that it's it's often a remarkably small, like not there's there's a there's a danger, I think, that people think of um street epistemologists kind of like sophists, that we're we're there to use language and rhetoric to to sort of right. sneakily sort of get people to believe certain things. And and actually it's kind of remarkable how simple the idea needs to be to to have such a massively reforming effect on your worldview. And a great example of that is Lisa from Unruly Lucy, who was on the show a couple of days ago, um, or, or last week, I don't know, time is losing all meaning at the moment. Um, she was describing how she was giving a, 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 a talk to a bunch of uh, Mormon young ladies, because uh, she was teaching them about the ways of, of Mormonism. And uh, as a Mormon, and uh, she she simply asked the question, you know, why are you here? And it was her contemplation of the answer that she's supposed to give in answer to that question, which is obviously to service Mormonism in some way, serve Mormonism in some way. Um, and and she she asked, she said, why are you here? And she suddenly caught herself asking that question, and and then realized that what she was about to say, she didn't believe. And and it was just that moment of self-awareness um there, there's a, there's an expression i think it's it's the origin of the expression a naked lunch where you suddenly catch yourself realize as, as if from an outsider's perspective realizing what you're doing and and you suddenly take a moment i think these sort of moments happen to us quite often where we suddenly sort of uh, see ourselves as if from a third person perspective and sort of reflect on whether or not you want to be the person who just said that or did that action um 
And uh, yeah, I, I think it's remarkable. I, and I hear this again and again with people when I talk to them. Sometimes it's just somehow just a simple question or somebody somebody notices something and then they can't not notice it anymore. It, it's it's really doesn't have to be very complex, in other words. There's a lot of great a little story. Sorry, uh, that that gives a little bit more depth to uh, to the saying. How am I supposed to know what I think before I hear what I say? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that makes a lot more sense now. <laughs> There's a lot of great stuff in chat with having this a side discussion. But um, gorgeous Roddy Krem says, "If you have a <laughs> hidden agenda, then you are selling." In my humble opinion. So this is really interesting, and actually, it's something. Will and I were talking a little bit about offline. I think, I think this is my claim, but I think all conversation is a form of manipulation. Oh yes, I remember that. Yeah, that was an interesting one. And and I think this is kind of what Dada's trading room is echoing. Like the reason why people have conversations, or, or maybe I, I didn't construct the sentence correctly. People have conversations because of reasons. I mean, that's just a fact. Yeah. So if you have a hidden agenda, then you are selling, in my honest opinion. Huh. Interesting. I I think so. So I, I think when we were talking about that, I mentioned this idea of speech act theory, which is a theory of language, which suggests that all language is separated into two contingent components. One is the um, Elocution, which is the words and the phrasing and how you choose to conduct yourself. It can also be non non phatic, as in you know how you conduct yourself, your body language, that kind of thing. Um, and and that that that's that's one part of language and communication. But the other is is the perlocution, which is the change that you want to have happen in the world as a result of using language. If you didn't want there to be a change in the world, you wouldn't speak. You wouldn't say anything, right? Like there's, there's no, there's no, there's no purpose to it, right? No, there's no, you know, and so right. you want, you want there to be a change in the world as a result of you saying something, and 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 I think that that I don't know if that's necessarily manipulation, more as just I, yeah, kind of it gets, it gets into words. I think John gets to the heart of it. The quality question says consensual manipulation because there's an ethical. I think right, what Roddy was sort of worried about is the ethical implications and lots of people are worried about this stuff but i think that's a side <laughs> conversation from do you want to have this conversation for motives we're all motivated that's why we do things and that doesn't necessarily mean that it's non-consensual yeah yeah i think anybody speaking with that motive is probably going to be quite boring <laughs> just why would they speak if you have no motive there's literally no reason it, to speak. It sort of slightly reminds me of the free will determinism argument you know and you try to imagine what a person with true free will would look like and, and you they just obviously become totally incoherent and and starts <laughs> acting it almost entirely at random you know it's i can imagine yeah. somebody speaking without motive or an agenda not being dissimilar from that in some ways guys uh you are you're contributing to this conversation through the chat already. So why not just call in and talk to us? Yeah, it's absolutely. either that or we'll talk to you for another hour. And, and that's a threat, <laughs> not a promise. <laughs> but yeah, and, do, uh, do, okay, do and, hello. And and Chucky, Chucky, and I'm, Chucky and I may leave and then you're, you're stuck here with William. <laughs> oh, God. I, see, that would be non-consensual for sure. <laughs> um, God damn. But yeah, to, 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 go, to, to, to rewind the conversation a little bit, like I think 
I think I'll admit to having plenty of reasons for having conversations with people. Like I have conversations with friends and family because I care about them and I'm interested in their well-being. I have conversations with strangers because I think it's better if more people are reasonable and believe true things um, and are slow to anger and thoughtful. I think I think these things help society and they help me. And that's why I have conversations. Yeah, I think usually when people say manipulation, they usually mean uh, some sort of hidden selfish agenda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I use uh, the word to be spicy, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah of course. But uh, yeah, and accusing accusing people doing street epistemology of trying to manipulate people when they when they do that there is this usually people when they hear that they usually think of manipulation as they are doing this for their own selfish reasons and which they're not revealing um and i think you can easily easily uh show that that's not that you, you can't use se for that it's not it's not a tool that you can use for that purpose, right? Well, one, I don't one know. Of... The, the thing that drives me crazy is when's the last time anyone has like gotten consent to talk to their parents about the fact that they're racist or something like that? Like, I just don't understand why does consent entering? Why is there such a fear about street epistemology when well... people are having arguments every day? So, so one of the things I've often said, and I think is apparent and feeds this narrative, by the way, is that the optic of street epistemology is identical to the optic of Mormons, uh, Scientologists, Jehovah's Witnesses, mm. people going out with a specific agenda. Now, yeah. how did the Scientologists use, you know, they say, they don't say, hey, we, we are collecting money for the Church of Scientology, yeah. give us your money, sign up here. They say, no, yeah. we're going to conduct a personality interview for you to help you manage your life better. And and they ask you a few questions on the street, and supposedly I've never gone through this experience, although I totally would love to. Um, supposedly they would then, if they if you answer the questions sufficiently well, they and then invite you sort of for an interview. And this is all being done under the rubric of of helping understand you better, so that they can provide you some help, some support. People need help and support. Jehovah's Witnesses, I see constantly on the uh, on the streets of London with stands that say things like, you know, we can help you with your mental health issues. We can help you with your 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 oh, feelings yeah. of anxiety. How, how many depression. how many Christian missionaries missionaries I use in quotes are at AA meetings? And and, and this is not a whataboutism, right? This this really isn't this is this isn't a whataboutism, but I'm. What what I what I I fear is that we are sharing the same perception here because the optic is so similar. Person mm. with a clipboard in the street asking right. questions about what people believe. It is very difficult, I think, to escape the fact that 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 almost any other time you encounter that situation, somebody really is pushing something. Whether it's politics, whether it's religion, whether it's you to for you to sign up to a certain insurance scheme. It, it it doesn't matter, but every other optic where that applies, it's us. And also, just talk like approaching people uh, in the park and asking them, "Hey, do you have a few minutes for a couple of questions?" That is the oh yeah, that is the assumption. Flies. Oh, what what are you what are you trying to sell me? What do you want from me? You, yeah. Do you want my money? Do you want like, like you you need, you have to have some sort of 
selfish motivation to do this. To be totally fair, and, and this, you and I, Janos, disagree, I have selfish motivations doing conversations. Sure. Yeah, I agree. I'm me too, because I'm, I'm trying to record it so that I can put it on my YouTube channel. And I want to spread the word about street epistemology and all of that. And also I want, I enjoy doing that. I it's, it's a hobby of mine. So it is selfish yeah. to a degree. That's what I was sure. going to say. I enjoy it. Right. And I can't yeah. deny that I get something out of it for sure. Yeah. It's fun. So I, I, to, to be even more insidious, right. Cause YouTube is visual. My reasons for doing this, I want more people to be open-minded. I want to, if, if I could pick one little snippet, I don't think people should be at 100% on as many things as, the, as they're at, 100% on. I, I you, you know you and I agree on this and and uh, yeah. but but I wonder whether I, I I there is a problem with language which is and also the if you remember back to the elocution perlocution thing it, it it rarely benefits you from saying something as representing your true opinion on something if 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 you're saying things to have an effect in the world there is a tendency to say a slightly stronger version of what you actually think, yeah, right? Because, which is why I said manipulation instead of uh, right, yeah, right. motivation so, or something like that. Effective speech could be seen as manipulation. Yeah. I guess that, that makes some sense. But but uh, but in any case, I think there, there, is, a, there is also a, a language gets incredibly verbose if you start to try to caveat your rationality, your rationalization process in every sentence. And so people yeah. don't, and people are used to speaking a certain way, which is by its very nature imprecise. And so when people describe themselves as 100% certain, what they're really saying is, I, I do act as if this is true. But uh, what does 100% certain really mean? Does anybody get like a little a ding when they reach 100% certainty on something? Do they, do they, is there a way you can feel the 100% certainty? So I took upon this thing where, and I think, you know, this is something anthony in his videos really tried all sorts of different things to to explain the scale but i settled on 100 percent means you cannot possibly be wrong about this are you sure you mean 100 percent? yeah that's what i tried to do as well i tried to say 100 yeah. is 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 totally right no questions just just 100 percent confidence yeah. so it's just and and right. Yeah, that that it, it is suspicious. But then people feel there's a difference between what people feel and how they want to represent themselves, yes, right? And so yes. I don't think they ever feel 100%, but they want to represent their confidence. It's a measure of I conviction more than it, it is. It kind of goes both ways. I think sometimes they feel at, that, that they're at 100%. Right. I'd recently uh, asked someone, does that, when you say 100%, he, he said that he was a Christian and he was 100% certain that, that uh, I don't know, the, the Christian God exists. And I said, does 100% mean that you cannot possibly be mistaken about this? And he said, yes, that's what it means. I cannot be mistaken about this. Absolutely not. No. It still doesn't mean that that's actually what, what he felt like. Um, but still, I, that was a little bit surprising to me. Because it's, usually it's when, when, you, when you ask that, people will back like back down a little. Often people will back off. The yeah. Yeah. The reason why I think it's feelings, Will, is how many people will say, I'm at 110%. <laughs> it's, 
it's gusto, it's bluster, it's oh, confidence. Yeah. That's, uh, you know? that, that's, a, that's, a, that's exactly, I, yeah, you and I are in agreement here. That, that's, yeah. that's what I think mostly. It's not, they're not saying what they really intellectually feel. They probably aren't even that aware of what they intellectually feel. What they're choosing to do is say, how should I represent myself in this moment? And this is kind of what Shane was addressing earlier as well. There's the sense of what's the risk of this? What's the cost of this? You know, versus, yeah. you know, how, what's the cost of me? saying less confidently and is there just more benefit in me just representing this view as 100 percent confident and and mostly if it's a faith thing that by definition like you know you, you've got to be all in right you've got to want to believe yes, it. you've got to yes. make no. it work until it works right or that work it till it works or something you know i mean th this is this is why this drives me crazy we're talking about motivations i feel like the difference between someone who's at 99 percent about their God belief and a hundred percent is the difference between a fervent believer and a suicide bomber. It, it causes actions in the world. If you cannot be wrong, you're willing to do extreme things. But, but again, I, 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 do you mean that somebody honestly, I, I, I if you're talking about, I'm telling you the pe people who blow themselves up aren't at 99%. That's the claim that I'm making. I don't know. That, I don't know that I would believe that. Actually, mm. I, I really don't know that I would believe that. I think all it has to be is more convincing than the alternative, and they need to be sufficiently motivated to believe that. Right. I I, I don't believe it has to be a hundred percent. Yeah, and probably the circumstances like what what would happen if I said I, I'm not going to do it at this point? They've already prepared me. They've already. I've already. I already have the belt lying here. I already know the date and time. And my family already knows that they're going to get money from this organization after the fact. I'm just thinking how uncharitably somebody's going to edit this later and you, <laughs> you're going to get a knock oh, yeah. on the door. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. <laughs> Don't swap me, please. Oh, by somebody, well, I meant me, obviously. But yeah. Whether, whether I'm right or wrong, that's, that's the topic of an SE conversation. But this is, this is my position. I think, I think people who are at 100% are fundamentally not being reasonable. And the only reasonable place to be is somewhere other than 100%. I mean, but are you talking about how they represent themselves or, or where they actually are? Because I don't think I, like, again, we were as we were discussing with Shane, I, I think where how confident you are about something changes in the moment, in context, in your mood, in your emotional state, in, in, in based on present information. I think every time you need to act on the belief, I think you're kind of evaluating it um, to a certain extent. Or at least every time that belief is challenged, you're evaluating it. And and your response to that will be contextual, hugely contextual. So I I don't think I don't think, you know, a lot of believers will say that they're hundred percent there, but then they, they will say, you know, I of course I've doubted, you know, I've had doubts, I've had crisis of faith, you know, but but now I'm back to hundred percent, you know, I feel better now. You know, it's like, well, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, even it, even in the, the reported definition, even the reported output here, it's it's. I mean, there's certainly complexity in that people are afraid of saying they're at ninety nine percent because to have doubts is itself look, bad. If you, if you if you're all all your if you're all in on your Pascal's wager, I mean, you might as well write it to the end, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I I spoke to my grandfather who who is a, a preacher in his retirement. He 
uh, for a Christian church. And he, he said 100%. And I said, Pop, 100% means you can't be wrong. Are you really so confident that you can't, can't even entertain the idea of being wrong? And, and he doubled down. I'm definitely at 100%. But when people talk about confidences, I think in this, there's like the, the common parlance of confidence is like more about how you carry yourself rather than a sort of a rational confidence, like a knowledge, conf epistemological confidence. Would you, would you, would you agree? Like a confidence is, is like, oh, that person's very confident. Like they, 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 they say it confidently. I guess you know? if there's a, if what I'm hearing you say is that for a lot of people, there's a disconnect between what they're actually at and what they report to be at. Yes. I, I think for sure, but I think that disconnect. <laughs> I just said 100%. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I, see, I see such a disconnect in a very uncharitable light. I, I see such a disconnect as, as basically being evidence for I haven't really thought about my belief much to know where I'm even at. And so I'm going to confidently without good reason, say a hundred percent. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if it's quite like that, but I, I think I, again, I think, I think that you can, it, it kind of, it's like the policeman asking the question about the key, the locked door, right? It's like all the confidence in the world when your friend asks, but when the policeman asks and the stakes different, now all of a sudden the answer's imperative, you know, completely the opposite answer that you gave previously. And yet you weren't necessarily lying the first time. You may have believed or sufficiently yeah. believed that in the context that no, the door was locked. It, it's fine. Everything's is, fine. Is it a lie to say you were at 100% when you feel like 100%, but five you, minutes later you, you don't? I, I don't the, know. The it answer to the question is a very binary one. Did I lock the door? Yeah, 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 yeah. You said yes. That's you, You've given it yes. You you may have then implied that maybe you're not 100% confident by going yeah, 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 rather than yes, you have definitely yeah, this, locked the door. This goes back to, to your thing about language. And exactly. and this is, this is a technique that I have inserted or borrowed from SE into my normal life. You know, is you're having a conversation with somebody. Did you uh, did you get milk when you went to the grocery store? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I got milk. How confident are you that you got milk? And if you right? say it and three it's times, a, it's not three times as confident. It's in fact the other yeah, way. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, it's you know, and you find out I'm eighty percent confident. Okay, I mean that's that's like reasonable, right? You know, I'm pretty sure I got milk, but honestly, I was on autopilot, so I may not have. You know. You can be 80% like sure, but they're also 80% terrified of the alternative. Yeah, this is a great, yes. Motivated beliefs. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And and this is the this is the problem. This is this, that's a huge factor, I think, especially with religious ideas, because it there's you know, part of it is that you have to report, you have to say you believe it, you have to you know ex ex externalize your faith. And I think that that means that people are more likely to say hundred percent regardless of where they're at. Gorgeous Ruddy Chrome, what a fantastic username! Are you one hundred percent sure that you are one hundred percent sure? Well, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> but when 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 people say when I say that I think certainty is not a position that anybody can hold, honestly, um, people always ask me if I'm certain about that, <laughs> which which is uh, I get it all the time, and and the answer of course is no, I'm not certain about that, <laughs> but it's what I presently believe. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't say that we're going back to this conversation earlier with um, what was his name? Nate? Shane. 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 Um, I don't like to use the word no 
I try not to use the word no because there's all this philosophical disagreement about what it means to know something. I'm just more or less confident about things. When people say they know it to be true, what they're really saying is, "I'm going. I'm really confident, and I want you to know. I want you to treat me as if I'm certain." <laughs> That's what yeah. they're saying. Yeah. I mean, I feel like if there's, um, it makes sense to have a word for for th describing things that you're confident. <sighs> enough about to say yeah i know that i know that i wish we true. didn't have a word for it because it means that people don't have to think about how confident they are they just well, I, use that word for everything and in some cases you don't want you don't want to and it makes sense not to have that conversation because um for example uh did you where where going to holiday did you pack uh your your swimsuit. But I would say I think I did, but I'm not sure. Well, sometimes when you say I think I did, imagine the potential consequences of you being so unsure. Sometimes you just say, Yes, I know <laughs> I packed it. Well, because what are the consequences. I, <laughs> because maybe you won't you won't uh, get in the car and leave. You will have to unpack everything and look and look in your your suitcase and see if you actually packed it, even though you are 99.9% uh, confident because you just... I think this gets back to what Will was saying, though. There. Like, there is something, there's something about acting. And I feel like even, even that isn't quite knowledge, right? Because the way that I would look at packing swimsuit to go on vacation is... I'm 99% sure I packed it. I, I remember packing it. So I probably packed it. And so I can act as if I packed it. I don't have to go recheck my bag. But in the case that I didn't pack it, I'm sure I could buy another swimsuit when we get there. You know, like if, you but I tell you one thing, if it were a matter of life and death, right. I'd probably go and recheck it until I was at like 99.9, 99.99. You know what I mean? So it like, used to, it, it used check to be your parachute cords three or four times. <laughs> It, it used to be that the word soon was to meant immediately. So it you so linguist in, in English, the word soon used to mean I will do something. If I used to say I will do something soon, it meant I will do something immediately. This is I'm I'm starting it now, is basically what soon meant. And then, of course, people got lazy. And so when people started to say to them, when are you going to do the, when are you going to go mow the lawn? And they would say, I'll do it soon. Nah, maybe that meant sometime in the next five, 10 minutes, right? <laughs> and eventually soon got further and further away. And so we created this new word now, <laughs> I'll do it now. And now, of course, you'll notice if you say I'll do something now, that kind of means in the next five to 10 minutes, right? And <laughs> what we normally say if we're going to do it is we'll say we'll do it right now. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> Except if you've noticed now, most time people say right now, that could be within the next five. So there's this right this very instance. <laughs> yes. well, yeah. What, what you're saying is, is people are really bad at procrastinating. And 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 that that has an impact on the language. So so I don't think I, I would I I would I sort of I would love it to be true that there was no way to express one hundred percent confidence in the language, but yeah. people need the hyperbole. 
to be persuasive, to change the world in the they way they want, want to do it. This is another will, one for they me. Will want use versus it. need. They want the hyperbole. Oh, okay, sure, sure. <laughs> well, maybe they need it. Maybe, maybe, maybe the maybe the problem the problem isn't really with the person's intention to speak, but how the person's speech will be heard, right? Because because for example, right now we're not really used to people caveating. You know, if if, yes. if you express yeah. uncertainty, that means well, even a little bit nowadays. Yes. Well, maybe they they aren't really yeah. telling the truth or know what they're talking about or certain yes. about this, and sometimes it can really matter. Yeah, what something I've noticed in the next few in, moments in industry. So I'm a I'm a programmer, and I've had so many conversations with people, other people with um, what do you what do you call it? Uh, what do you call it when imposter syndrome? You're familiar with this? Yeah, this yeah, phrase? yeah. And you come into maybe a new company, you've got a new job, and you're worried that you don't know what you're talking about, that, that other people are more expert at this stuff than you. And you're afraid to ask a question because you're worried that it might signal ignorance and, and only serve to confirm this idea that you don't know as much as other people. Um, and I think this is, this is a real shame. And it goes back to this idea of like, I wish people... I wish I could convey to people that uncertainty and, you know, questioning and 99 percenting and things like that are actually should be valued. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, w I was speaking. There's an interview going up very shortly with a lady I interviewed uh, uh, f uh, uh, who was recently joined the street epistemology community. And she expressed that in her journey, she was a Christian as she grew up. She got to 18. She changed from a Christian. She became an atheist. She admittedly became a slightly ardent atheist, it turns out. But then she had a transformative experience at the age of 20, I think. And, and as a result, uh, fell back into fell back into is probably an uncharitable language but she became she returned to christianity and became a, and a very uh strong christian and then uh two years later re recognized that no she really just couldn't make it square and she's become an atheist again now in today's day and age that's that sort of behavior is just not to be tolerated you you are nobody's ally everybody mistrusts you this is this right. is just burning your social credit flip-flopper no, nobody's taking your bets in in the Pascal Wager betting yeah. office at this point, right? So, 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 no. What, 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 what does this mean? And and what it means is this person is trying to figure shit out, and he's doing it in right. real time, and that should be applauded. That should be genuinely recognized as like, yeah. goddamn. I mean, she's yeah. gotten to her position the hard way. Peter says, in Christianity, faith is a virtue, and doubt is a bad thing. It's a fundamental difference in worldview. I, I think absolutely. I, I grew up hearing Bravo. from my father and grandfather about doubting Thomas and how much better it is to believe without evidence. That is a, that is an excellent comment, Peter. That's yeah, um, yeah uh, you're, you're absolutely right. The virtuizing of faith, believing something without evidence, which which I can't. If if that's not the definition of faith, I don't know what is. Um, then yeah, there's certainly I, people who disagree with that, but yeah, yeah I, I'm sure. Um, but 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 I think I think the reality is I I don't really mind what you believe. I just want you to have done your thinking on it. I want you to have taken yes. made that journey. And, and too yes. often, too often we speak to people and ask them why they believe what they believe, and the reality is they've never really thought about it. They've just sort of fallen into it, just like they yeah. chose they they fell into the language that they happen to speak. You know, they, you know, it just happens to be the one their parents spoke, and all the people around them speak. So they they use the language, and of course that makes perfect sense. But when you're adopting philosophical world, is maybe less so. Yeah. So yes, I think doubt should be applauded. I think uncertainty should be applauded. And the the best answer to almost every question is, I don't know. Yeah.
in case it wasn't clear, right? When you're when you're in a job and you're wondering how come nobody's asking this question? Is it because everybody knows the answer? I'm so stupid. I shouldn't be here. I'm going to be fired. Like That's... they're all probably sitting there thinking the same fucking thing. Except well, you're for sure... maybe one or two people. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and 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 like here's the uh, one of the as as I used to be an IT contractor, sat in many meetings, being paid extremely well for just being what I was told to be, which is the only sensible voice in the room. And the reason is that I was the only one that didn't give a shit about asking right. a stupid question. And so, right. yeah. oftentimes when people would talk about things, everybody in the room would actually have no idea. What, or, or worse still, everybody would think they knew, were all on the same page, but actually yeah. weren't. Yeah. And and I think that just being able to be free enough to ask the question, what okay, you've mentioned this twice in this conversation, and I do not understand in context what that means. Could yeah. you explain what yeah. that is? Actually, I'm not sure what that is. And yeah, you yeah. hear this time and time again. And incidentally, I will I just want to point this out as well. Street street epistemology is actually, I think, quite an a, a, a useful set of tools and, and an idea to take into the workplace. Um, I yeah. really do think that there's a lot of space in in businesses for for street epistemology to apply. And the reason is that people in businesses tend to be very protective of their ideas. They tend to they tend to protect their departments, protect their ideas. They tend to make assertions and they they dislike being challenged on those assertions or told that they're wrong or disagreed with. But street epistemology, I think, can be actually quite an effective way of inquiring as to in a way that makes it will feel like you're just asking questions because that's what you're doing gently inquiring why did why have they gotten to this conclusion and is there anything that they can notice about the reasons why they've gotten to to the conclusion about whatever it is that the company is going to do so yeah i, I would definitely want to do, uh, draw that to people's attentions if you've not already been doing it like i think street epistemology can be very effective in business um maybe you should adapt that as your new uh your new nickname um the only reasonable voice in the room <laughs> honestly when i went when i started i've been i was a contractor for just over 10 years and i've only recently stopped to to, to join another company doing something different but um as, as a contractor i was kind of nervous about entering that, that imposter syndrome sort of kicks in and uh there was the a piece of advice another contractor gave me he says you just have to be a sensible voice in the room just just be be a sensible person because yeah. everybody else has so many sort of different motivations that are defining how they act and how they what they say you know yeah. you, you, as long as you're you're free from that and you're able to ask the, the reasonable question you'll look like a superhero and it's totally true uh checky you you put in the chat that uh maybe we could explore with some where the caller maybe the, the i'll put the put the comment there uh the claim for faith is a virtue or the opposite faith is not a virtue um because now I've, I'm feeling increasingly bad uh, suggesting that maybe we could <laughs> we could stop talking about like stop stop going down the rabbit hole of epistemology because that so far this has been our what's what was Shane was our uh, only caller in this mm -hmm. show so far so it would be great if someone uh, yeah there's so much conversation in the chat but uh, right. It seems like nobody wants to talk to us. What, and <laughs> Shane might, almost didn't come come on because he thought maybe this isn't really that interesting or right. not what we want to talk about. So just just go ahead and and don't be one one thing perhaps shy, to add is uh, talk. 
Oh, I think my internet's playing up again. But one thing to add is that if you don't want to be on video, you you can join just voice only. So if you're not comfortable yeah. putting your webcam on, like don't think that that should be a barrier. And in fact, if you'd like to any of us to turn our web cameras off because you think it would improve things, I would totally understand. Um, <laughs> I, I, and I just to be clear, I didn't I didn't want to want to uh, I, I didn't want you to to make these suggestions about my face in this. <laughs> Just okay. to be clear, Thank if you. you call in with a claim, it's not going to be three against one. It's just going to be, you'll just be talking to one person. Um, so the Woozle effect has a really nice comment. I think there's an interesting subtext here, even within SE. We have a lot of people who think they're on the same page, but there are some fundamental differences in agenda. Like, I think this, to me, this is the reason why I think SE and conversations and talking is important because we're all living in these little siloed meat popsicle bodies. And we all think we know how the rest of the world works. We think we know how other people work. We think we know how they think, but you can't figure any of that out or test your beliefs or check it unless you talk to people. That I is just feel like talking with people is so important. Such I just a good point. Sorry. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to call this out because, like, I think that should be we should double underline this to make it super clear. Like, uh, so the Woosler effect says, I don't think there's anything wrong with that as long as SE is a method and not an epistemology of its own. Yeah, SE is not an epistemology. Like, yeah, I don't, definitely. I don't. There's, there's no space for it to be. This is how you should think. It's just an inquiry on how you do think. Right, That's right. all it is. Yeah, but, I mean, sometimes I, I, you'll talk to somebody and they'll decide and be happy and be comfortable let's say let's say with faith and they say yes faith is a reliable way to come to knowledge and maybe that's where the conversation ends and they understand their belief better um i think that's a perfectly positive outcome for for a talk right. uh but i i wanted to um to comment on what you just said there i think Many people see as e as a tool to talk about things that we dis disagree upon. When when there's tension, when we when usually it turns into a heated debate or a fight, we can use as e to calm it down and to have a more friendly exchange. However, I believe that that is overlooking the potential for having conversations about things that we strongly agree on. And I feel like there is that is sometimes even the the greater danger that you think you're all on the same page, like you just said. You think we all we all agree on that on the conclusion, but maybe we have vastly different reasons why why we arrive at that conclusion. And by talking about them, maybe we discover, oh, maybe maybe there is something to the the opposite position, or at yeah. least there are some good points that they have. So, um, and that is why I. I think there is a lot of value in talk, using SE to talk about uh, things that see, almost seem trivial or banal to us, like the earth is round, water is wet. What do you mean by that? Yeah. Um, I, I think the banal the banality of a claim sometimes makes it a little bit difficult because, because it becomes hard to interrogate honestly anyway because you don't really have a reason for believing it. It's just you know so foundational that you sort of... You, you you kind of have never really built that structure which is you know still not not entirely worth disregarding but i let, let me i really want to agree with there there is a tremendous amount of value in exploring a claim about which you agree um because not only is it the case yeah. that you don't 
you you might not actually agree for the same reasons and it might be important to identify that but but also it it you really want people to be more confident in things that are true right and and that what you might not realize is that maybe the person that you're agreeing with maybe they believe your the same thing as you but maybe they've got a really poor epistemology holding that belief yeah. up right and that if that's the case then then they're susceptible to being persuaded by a poor argument from the other side so yes. so what you want to do is you want to make sure that people hold whatever beliefs they have for good reasons and that yeah. if there are good reasons to be found then they should be explored together yeah. i think this came up last week but like if if somebody's an atheist because they're angry at their life or or something like that, I think right that's not a great reason to be an atheist. Or angry at God. Yeah, I mean that's a, that's a really bad reason to be an yeah. atheist. Yeah. And I could I could have a I I could I could see it an effective and positive conversation with somebody um, leaves them more confident in a view a view that I don't agree with. Like, yeah. I think that's a possibly a valid outcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I think that's basically what Luz was saying. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. And I, I totally, so I had a conversation with my cousin that started about vaccine hesitancy. And, and I'm listening, right? I'm listening to her, what she has to say. I'm not making claims. I'm asking questions. And like, I learn all this stuff about things she's dealing with in her life and i come to understand her better at the end of that conversation all right we've got a caller we do all right finally yeah. gorgeous ronnie crumb's calling in so I've, I've clicked the add to stream button and last time this nearly killed my internet connection for some reason it, I, i've clicked add to stream twice now and it's still not doing it um, so i did see him come up and then i saw him go away now i see him come up again I, yeah i clicked i clicked add to stream again can you hear us um, I, I can don't think hear you, but I'm, I've never done this before, so I'm trying to yeah, figure I'm out. Yeah, I can hear you, gorgeous. Oh. Are you able to hear me? I can, yeah. Yes. It seems okay, like cool. Will cannot. Okay. <laughs> well, well, I maybe. think I had to shut off my YouTube feed in order to get the stream yard to work, and I, I can't see anyone now, but I can hear you, so I think that's fine. Okay, well, well welcome. Do you have a, a question or a claim you want to explore? Well, I... Uh, maybe maybe a comment that'll turn into a question i'm i'm trying to learn um se i've been watching anthony magnavosco's channel for about a year and i've mm -hmm. just discovered other channels like this one and so forth my my interest in it is related to how to talk to people that are very involved in groupthink and my understanding is that whenever the word groupthink is used, it's usually a pejorative. It usually has, uh, it commonly has the connotation that a person involved in groupthink can't think on their own or they're brainwashed or, you know, these types of things. And um, it, it's especially used that way when referring to, say, religious groups. Um, some that you've mentioned are like Mormon and Scientologist and Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, the thing that that I'm still trying to understand is that I don't necessarily see all groupthink 
as bad as much as I see it as something that we have evolved to as part of our um, human. Can you give us a concrete example? Pardon me? What, what did you say? Can, can you give us a concrete example of uh, like a kind of groupthink that you think is good, just so that we know where you're coming from? To try to think one that's good. Um, I think, let's see. Um, I, I can't off the top of my head think of a specific example, but let me describe it this way. We accept things and think things that, we haven't often, say, really researched and put critical thinking skills to. We just sort of accept those things because whatever group we're in is that way, okay? Uh, oh, here's one. As a former pro musician, um, there was always this, at least in the circles that I was in as a guitarist, there was always this idea that um, that Yamaha guitar instruments, guitars, were for beginners or home players and not for someone on a stage. And in all my years of playing in bar bands, I never met a single person who would ever play a Yamaha guitar. Um, I started doing luthier work and came to realize that, that Yamaha makes absolutely phenomenal guitars that are right up there with Gibson or Fender or whatever. They just don't have the name brand recognition and they don't seem to break through that, at least in the rock and roll musician groups in America. So that was because of a group think. If you so analyze this- them, they're, they're fantastic. So, so there's this group think there. Now, I don't know that that's a positive thing, but it just is a groupthink thing. And so the only positive thing might be about, about that is if you got up on stage and were playing a Yamaha guitar, that other musicians might look askance at you <laughs> and think, what's that guy doing? So there's this social acceptance that you, that you uh, a need of social acceptance that you fill by not using a Yamaha guitar on stage. Now, that may seem to be a strange hmm. example to, to people that aren't musicians, but, but the point is, is that it can be pretty, it, it can be, per, group thing can be pretty bad when you are in, well, pretty bad from my perspective. If you're a flat earther, most of what you believe isn't because you actually have correct scientific analysis. It's because it's your group. Um, And I'm wondering how with SE, how you go through and. And and combat that a little bit more than just someone who's has a superstition or has never thought about something. Yeah. First, first of all, can, can I can I call you Roddy? Otherwise, yeah, I have to that, call that, you Georges, yeah. and then my wife might get involved. So, I, I, Roddy, thank you for that. It's, it's yeah, a good question. Name, yeah, <laughs> gotcha. And and so I, I think I think the first thing that 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 
is is to say here is that I think street epistemology in general speaks to individuals. Yes. And and I think it may well be, and you do hear this often, and I think if you do street epistemology long enough, you you will notice that you'll get canned responses from people. And you can sort of get a sense that you're getting a canned response. It's not something that they've thought. It's the learned response. It's the, it's the, it's the kind of when asked this, you give this response type behavior. Um, Everybody knows Yamahas suck. <laughs> right. yeah, yes, because, because they do. Have you ever owned a Yamaha guitar? Have you ever played one? Do you know anybody that's had one? Did you, you know, and so so that so now all of a sudden you you as the street epistemologist need to ask people questions to explain why they, they believe that. Why how have they gotten to this conclusion? So it's okay to repeat it as a talking point. Okay, we've heard your uh, to, your your talking point, the the group identity uh, clarifier that you agree that Yamaha's are terrible guitars. But then the question is, why do you believe that? And, you, and you'll be surprised how you don't have to go very far deep to just take one step beyond the, the canned talking points. Well, I think the, the, the problem here is the discrepancy is um, the, the different uh, goals of, of you believing that Yamaha guitars are good or bad. Or bad. Um, because one is, if you want to belong to a group, it can be very beneficial to simply uh agree with everyone that yamaha guitars are terrible because that way you won't be looked at as like the the weird guy who believes nonsense exactly um, and 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 uh our biological evolution had to accommodate for many many factors that played a role in our survival while we are focusing on good epistemology and good epistemology is not always the most or not certainly not the only and in many cases probably not not even the most important factor to survival because if if your entire group your entire tribe agrees on a certain uh non-truth and an untrue thing then it can be beneficial to simply agree with them and not care about whether or not it's actually true I think mm -hmm. it almost gets into psychology. Like it, it may very well be that you sit down and you have a conversation with someone, and they say, you know, you say, "Why, why do you hold this belief?" and and they say, "Because it makes me feel good." Mm. And then you have to say, "Well, is it important for you to to believe true things, or is this does this belief bring you comfort, even if it even if it were mistaken, would you still want to continue believing it?" Like. These are important questions to ask people about any topic, I think. And and maybe their answer, like maybe this is a good example of something where th there's no moral quandary in letting them continue to believe this um, for for their own, let's say, social reasons. But there's a difference between between how you choose to act and what you believe, right? So so. I think I think we might recognize a distinction between hey it's it's beneficial making the joke that drum, drummers how do you know there's a drummer at your door while well, he doesn't come in when you ask him to that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. you, you, you're going to win points all day making those kinds of jokes right because but but then that doesn't necessarily have to correlate with an earnest belief that drummers are really bad at timing right <laughs> so yeah, I think true. I think I think we can we can we can differentiate those things. What one of the things that I think is the most concerning component of what you're describing uh rudy uh sorry is it rudy or roddy <laughs> roddy roddy my apologies roddy that's okay um the, the one of the most concerning aspects of what you're describing i think is when people when you're talking to somebody 
and they're representing their tribe, their group, their view. And that the moment they start to question or they start to get into territory where they're not able to rely upon the sort of standard talking points and that you're you're starting to actually ask them questions that they don't have pre-canned responses for, that rather than recognize that maybe there aren't necessarily strong reasons for believing what they believe, which is what you would hope they would do, what they actually do is start to feel like they're letting down their tribe, that they are just a poor ambassador for what is obviously actually true. They, they're not really questioning the truth of it. What they're questioning is their ability to defend the position. And I think that's 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 the most concerning version, I think, of what you're describing. It's uh, yeah. it's fantastic when when you can ask somebody a question. You say, "Why did you do that?" or "Why do you think that?" And instead of making up something, they say, "Not for any good reason." Or uh, I think I, that's I don't know beautifully thought about it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's beautifully honest and like that's the kind of attitude that I feel like leads people to be better people. Have you guys encountered this thing that I've described where people feel that they're, they're not wrong, they're just not representing their side correctly? Oh, yeah. It, and yeah. and I, I, I find that very difficult to address. And, and I would be interested if anybody's had any thoughts on how that could happen, because it, it almost feels like by making that move, that that their 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 group or their their identity um, is cannot be compromised, and that therefore street epistemology, who can only ask the individual questions, the more you're you're making them question, the more upset they are getting with themselves that they're not doing a better job representing the view. You never really get to talk to the person in this sense, um, and and I find that really alarming. Uh, when people talk to conflate. a mouthpiece for for an organization, uh, but they're, they're not even they're usually enthusiastic as well at the beginning because yeah. they 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 think oh this is going to be very good for me I'm going to be able to tell them all the things that were convincing and then but, they realize they've forgotten them or half remembering them or they can't really remember what was so persuasive to them at the time, but what they're not doing is thinking I might be wrong about this. What they're thinking is I'm letting this side down. And I, I think that's it's such a it's such a sort of it's an almost a kryptonite to the, the SE method. Well, if, if we could go back to Roddy's original statement, Roddy, are you saying that that these people who believe this and then they they belong to a group because of it that 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 is a good thing because it contributes to their satisfaction in life or i'm not sure i really understood the well i th thanks for asking that uh so i clarify it. i think that uh some aspects of group group think are probably innocuous other than it allows you to be seen and accepted hmm. in a group um if i were to what I mean by that, if I were to use the the Yamaha guitar example, I have sat down with some guitarists and said, "Hey, take a look at this high end Yamaha that I have, which I would never, which by the way I would never play on stage." And <laughs> and they play it and they go, "Oh man, this thing is unbelievable!" And they they like it and they look at it. They, this is great, but. You know, it's not something Slash is going to play on stage, and yeah. so. You know, and, and and this is at within genres of music. This is actually 
True, there are certain brands, for example, if you're a metal musician, you will play a certain brand. If you're mm -hmm. a bluegrass player, you will never play an electric Schechter on stage. And so the thing is, is that's innocuous. It really doesn't matter other than you make choices to sort of meld in the group. And truthfully, it doesn't matter which do, brand do you, you play. What? But in religion, it may be, the, it may be different mm. because you may – Jehovah's Witnesses are a good example because I'm a former Jehovah's Witness myself. It's been years, but I was a Jehovah's Witness back when they didn't have the carts and the – all that stuff. And you actually went on the street and actually tried to get involved in conversations with people. And there were things that were taught and you might question them, but you would never say that out loud, nor would you ever. Oh, and you would also teach the sort of party line right. to to other people. Now, there's a lot of ex-Jehovah's Witnesses online that say it's a mind control cult and that they're brainwashed. And, everything. and usually those people were born and raised in it and had a horrible, you know, teenage years and childhood. I, I joined as an adult and I joined for theological reasons, which I no longer hold. But the point was, is that, is that, there were things that I would talk about and I wouldn't mention, and it wasn't because I was afraid. It was because I didn't want to rock the boat. I didn't want to upset all of the people that I really loved, all my family and friends yeah. and everything else. And so breaking through to people about their beliefs, I think can often be far more difficult than getting them to reason on the point, and and this is what I let me think of what I'm trying to say here without going on a tangent. And this is something that I want to figure out how to incorporate SE techniques into, um, because often when a person gives you the individual reasons, it's what they're thinking of at that moment and not necessarily the reasons why they act upon something in their daily life. Yeah. Does yeah. that make sense the way I describe that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, one, one, one thing that occurs to me, though, is like it, it never ceases to alarm me how much I think the social engineering components of a lot of religious organizations are very deliberate. Oh, yes, um, they are. And and you know Jehovah's Witnesses are one of those sort of uh, groups that use the the term. I'm sure you may have heard of it, uh, love bombing, which is the idea that you make somebody feel so overwhelmingly welcome, so overwhelmingly supported, and and th that they just can't help but feel like they've finally found their home and their sort of support group and their tribe. Essentially, um, mm -hmm. there's all kinds of 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 you know, carefully worked out methodologies to make it easy for you to agree with the policies and, and uh, hard to question them. Um, and and so I would wonder whether or not some of this sort of in-group 
sort of uh, group think that you're describing that sort of ends up happening. I, I think it's possibly more deliberate or certainly can be more deliberate than perhaps you realize. Um, and, and so, yeah, that, that, but it's an interesting component of it. I uh, think that I, I would like to make a quick comment yeah, about that because you brought up an excellent point there. And I can tell you from having been in that group for decades, having raised a family in that group, having brought many people into the group, including my siblings or whatever, and now we're all out. <laughs> I can tell you that lots of those behaviors were never taught. They were imitative. Mm -hmm. And there are, if you kind of you know study cults, there are some cults. The Moonies were the most famous. Stephen Hassan is, was a former Mooney, and he was a recruiter high up. And they would they would teach their members to love bomb. It was like this is what you do. No Jehovah's Witnesses ever taught that. You just get part of the group, and then when someone who you've never seen comes into your church, they call them Pauls, comes into your church, you just get up and you talk to them and you introduce yourself and so forth. And so the point is, is that from an outsider's view, it can often seem like those things were pre-designed and even taught. But having, before being a Jehovah's Witness, having been a born-again Baptist um, and a fundamentalist, every church I went to did that. Literally every church I went to, when I went in, if I went to visit a Catholic church, see what they were like, there were people oh, that yeah. would come around me. And so the thing is, is that a lot of times what people are doing is just an imitative behavior. And then when you ask them, what is your thoughts and whatever, they will come up with reasons to back it up. And meme. Yeah, I think what, and it goes back to your, to your core question. What, how do you talk to these people? Um, one of in, the things. That, yes. Yeah. I, I think you have to, you have to be, be willing to spend a little bit of social capital and, and, and say, Hey, so I heard you list a couple of reasons. Um, would you would you still be as confident if you found out those reasons were were not as airtight as as you think they are, or you know yeah. which one of these is the strongest? If you know things like that, because you may very well find out that even if they didn't have reason A, B, and C, they'd still be at a hundred percent. Oh yeah, and so good. If, Right. If you go through that, you can just say, okay, well, great. We don't need to talk about A, B, and C. Let's find out what would actually move you down the scale. And do not use the term groupthink when describing that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, well, yeah. But, but great question, Roddy. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to sign thinking. off. I appreciate you uh, letting me on, and I appreciate yeah, your input. Thanks so much for calling. Um, it's a great this question, Roddy, and thank you for being part of the chat as well. We've seen your messages. It's been uh, great having you here. Hopefully, we'll see you yeah. see you again another time. Okay. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye, guys. Goodbye. Care, so I think that's probably about us for time, and the uh, SE practice is just about to start over on the SE Discord server. So if anybody right. wants to participate in that, please uh, feel free to head over there. But, yeah, I think I think we're done today, chaps. Any, any last words for everybody? Anybody want to say like, comment, and subscribe? Because I'm not going to. Oh, I did it, didn't I? That was that was my that was my sneaky way of doing it without doing it. Yeah, so. no, no, no one said that. But
but um, I'll rem <laughs> I remind people that anyone here now, maybe you didn't hear it at the beginning, uh, anyone who speaks German and wants to participate in our German uh, SE practice group tomorrow, well, it's today now in, uh, in German time, um, Sunday, 8 p.m. German time, feel free to join us. We will have, this Sunday, we will have Anthony Magnabosco joining us. Um, we will be able to talk to him a little bit. And, yeah. Awesome. So, yeah. So for me, I just want to say a really big thank you to everybody that's uh, been watching, everybody that chatted in uh, the chat thread. I can see it's been a lively conversation. Sorry if we've missed half of that, but obviously it's a bit tricky giving all the banter and also reading, but but yeah, there's been some really good chat today. So appreciate that. And I, I think as far as I can tell, we're going to be doing these call-in shows on a weekly basis. So um, yeah, tune in, same bat time, same bat channel next week, and uh, and uh, we'll be there. So thanks a lot, everybody, and uh, goodbye. Take care. See you this week. The Street Epistemology Podcast is a production of Street Epistemology International. You can donate or learn more about this nonprofit organization at streetepistemologyinternational.org. The views, guests, and topics expressed here, or not expressed here, do not necessarily represent those of the organization. <laughs>